Coming up at 5 o'clock, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon joins us here on the show. I guess multi-time Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Fame, CFL Hall of Fame, Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Warren Moon did it right in a lot of different places. And he's going to do it right here on the Blitz at 5 o'clock today. He uh, he also did it right in the Rose Bowl once upon a time. He did against uh, Michigan of all teams. How about that? When they were a big underdog. I'll let him tell the story, uh, but evidently the Michigan players did something at Disneyland to piss off the Washington players. <laughs> in particular, one Warren yeah. Moon. Yeah. The photo I tweeted of him, by the way, with the afro from his senior year at Washington is spectacular. So great. <laughs> Next to the Husky dog. <laughs> so great. And I love the shoulder pad patches. Yes. I miss those. I miss that about bowl season. I want an over-the-top obnoxious yeah, patch. Giant, giant patch on the top of the shoulder pads. And if you're a team that has the numbers there, move the numbers to the sleeve, right? Or the sleeve region. But yeah, it's a great look. Did you see that uh, retweet I had from earlier today that uh, basically was... Um, I retweeted the Tulsa version of this, but there was a thread that was going around about a college football bowl game helmet thread with teams that were wearing like customized helmets tied to the bowl games that they were playing in. Like in Texas in 82, they had a Cotton Bowl classic text and the Cotton Bowl logo right above the Longhorn. Tulsa's, Tulsa's one of Tulsa's sweetest helmets ever was their Liberty Bowl lid that they wore that had the Liberty Bowl behind the Tulsa yeah, logo and the yeah. white helmet. But there was a whole list of these. Like TCU put a, a rose in the Horn Frog's mouth when they played Purdue. Yeah, um, like the Rose Bowl one's easy because there are so many teams that put the rose helmet or logo on the side of, of their helmet. But a lot of military bowl ones with, with camo, we need more of that. Yeah, it's it's very cool. But to your point, the giant patch where the shoulder pads would be and let's just bring back oversized shoulder pads while we're at it that's right i mean i'm I'm still convinced that everybody that played 30 years ago is three times their actual size because of the the the, the pad size at that time ah yeah i know right you look at somebody now and you look at their measurables and you're like that guy was five nine 185 Nah, no yes. way. Yeah, there was no way that that was actually <laughs> but, taking place at all. Yeah, but the giant shoulder pads and the neck rolls. I mean, even the the thigh pads, right? All of it. Yeah, go back and look just, at just guys makes, like... Makes them look much, much bigger. Lee Woodall for the Niners back in the day looked like he, he might as well be like four inches taller right. and weigh 50 more pounds than what he actually did. That's right. Uh, speaking of the Rose Bowl, <laughs> there were a number of bad snaps in the Rose Bowl by the Alabama center, Seth McLaughlin, who is a two-year starter. I bring that up to bring this up. I saw this yesterday. Guess who entered the transfer portal? I saw that. Alabama center, two-year starter, Seth McLaughlin.
They had a couple of linemen jump in the portal yesterday. Well, this one is particularly funny because how many bad snaps were there in that game? All of them? Yeah, basically all of them. I mean, for as much as people want to criticize the final play in overtime, even if you 100% believe that they executed that exactly the way it was drawn, you can at least admit that the the bad snap had to had to influence that in some way because it was another low snap and I'm sure Jalen Milrow was just absolutely terrified every time he was ready to receive that snap not knowing what direction it was going to go but yeah this is I mean I'm sure Nick Saban immediately went to his locker and said you know the portal window's closing soon uh, Saban probably talk, be in it. Saban talked about that today on the um, on the Pat McAfee show when he was on, and uh, he he had said, "quote You know that's something that's been a bit of an issue for us all year long. You know when you go on a clap and use that as a noise cadence every time someone hits a pad on defense, they're not allowed to clap on defense, which is actually what happened in the Aubrey game. He said we got behind the eight ball before the fourth and thirty one play when the ball got snapped and the quarterback wasn't ready for it and they had a huge loss, and." Um, he said that Alabama was having issues because Seth McLaughlin was anticipating clapping that never came. He said they actually did clap on defense. They weren't doing it intentionally. The safety was just trying to get the linebacker's attention. And it's a common thing, but Saban said it should be a penalty. Michigan was not clapping, but our center was thinking that somebody was making a noise that sounded like a clap as he was snapping the ball early sometimes. And when we weren't ready for it, that was a huge issue for the quarterback. And he goes, but he was quick. He was quick to point out. He goes, now don't get me wrong. It wasn't a great snap. <laughs> so, well, I mean, that's more on the timing of the snap than like the precision of where it goes, right? That is correct. Like the precision of snapping it to the quarterback in the same spot over and over, whether people are clapping or not, like that was not happening. Period. I heard a wild stat yesterday, and I need to go and look it up and make sure that it's factual. But I kind of trust the individual that it came from. I believe the numbers, the the raw numbers, when you go and watch and, and look at how it ended up playing out there in Pasadena, Alabama had, or excuse me, Michigan had 15 or 16 quarterback pressures. The difference is, though, is that they got home on six of them. So they were essentially able to turn their pressures. Like it was like a coin flip of whether or not they were going to get a sack on the pressures that they got. Like if you were to go back and think that, I don't know how many total snaps that Bama ran, but I would have thought it would have been 10 times more than that. It was almost equal to the amount of pressures that Texas got. The only difference is they got one sack against Washington. Like pretty crazy to think about. Well, and that's the major difference, I think, in looking at how you apply the logic of Michigan's defense against Alabama to Michigan's defense against Washington. You don't even have to get the sack with Jalen Milrow, right? Like he's not a guy that A is like his his ability isn't to drop back and throw the football, right? Mm-hmm. And they tried to make him do that early in the season, and it was a massive failure. And when they understood that he's not Bryce Young, that he's Jalen Milrow, and they went to a more run-heavy offense that featured a lot more quarterback run and then picked their shots for him to drop back and throw the deep ball, they were much more successful. Michael Penix 
will handle pressure much better than Jalen Milrow did, right? Like, you don't even have to get the sack on Milrow. He's going to break down just in terms of, I think, going through his reads when you get pressure on him. Smooth. As opposed to, to Penix. Yes. Very much so. He's he's just he's not a a passing quarterback to that level in in his career at this stage. He's not polished in that way, right? That's right. Like, that's not even his skill set, really. But it's something he'll get better at. Michael Penix is twenty four. He's played a ton of college football, and that's his wheelhouse. Dropping back and throwing the football is what he does. Yes. So yeah, I like I don't think you can apply the same logic, even if if Michigan were to get pressure, which is also I mean Washington's offensive line from a pass protection standpoint, I think is much better than Alabama's. Yeah, way better. Way but better. even if it were the same line, I was just, like the quarterback's decision making process is going to be completely different. I was just more surprised because if if you know how you have the after something's over with, you go back and it's like revisionist line of thinking. I when I heard sixteen or it was like fifteen or sixteen total pressures, I was like, that seems really low from yeah. how I remember. But I mean, I guess that's what happens and what gets planted into your brain when you actually get him on the ground six times. It just it bogged down their entire offense. Yeah. It so did. it's it's the lasting memory you have of of you know how they played defensively. Yep. They just they couldn't throw the football because of that, and the offense had very little success. But yeah, that's uh, that to me will be night and day different in the national championship game. I mean, I guess unless you get in a position where you have a lead, right, and you put you you make Washington be completely one dimensional, and you know what's coming, and you know you can. From that aspect, I could see that becoming a factor but just straight up you know tie tie game you know back and forth type of game i i don't think we're going to see the exact same scenario as far as the pressure goes more than likely not you also have to account for the pass catchers which look i know alabama has some really talented young players but they don't have even one receiver to me i mean jermaine burton's their best guy I would take all three of Washington's pass catchers over Burton. One of the uh, more underrated groups that doesn't get mentioned as much as what they should, but uh, I think it's hard-pressed to find a better collection of receivers anywhere else in the country. I mean, I think Odunze was the best receiver in college football this year. I'm not suggesting that he should be drafted higher than Marvin Harrison Jr. or that He's more talented. Uh, I think uh, he was the best Maserati receiver in college Marv, football dude. this year. Maserati Marv. He was great. <laughs> no, you should reference him as that. But, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maserati Marv. But Odunze, holy cow, man. And then the other two aren't far behind. I mean, and then if you decide you're going to cover all those guys, sneaky number 37, Westover, the tight end, just uh, steady Eddie over there. Right? And you know what? When I saw him in person, I thought they kind of had bad games because they had multiple they did, guys yeah, had drops they everywhere. They did. But I had said at the time, I think I even my pregame hit for Tulsa against Washington was I was making a point about how 
Washington offensively was built to make a run at the college football playoff. And boy, did they come through. Well, and you add, I think, the running dimension that they were really able to add to a high degree down the stretch of the season yes. with Dylan Johnson. Yes. And, you know, what that means for an offense and, and just even even with him being incredibly productive, what that means for how a defense is going to approach you, right? Like you can go into a game and you you have to you have to give them their respect in the passing game, but if they also are, are throwing out a running game that did what Washington's running game did down the stretch, I mean, the, the looks you're going to get completely change. Texas had I, a... I mean, we, we had the Heisman Trophy conversation a couple days ago about how all the, everybody just, you know, is prisoner of the moment, like Pinnock should have been the Heisman after that game the other night. I mean, Dylan Johnson being as good as he was down the stretch is a big reason why I think Penix didn't get it. Like, you can make the argument that, that down the stretch, Dylan Johnson felt like their most valuable player. Maybe more than I, and to say that he should have won, probably not, because I agree with you. That's but but I, but I do think, though, that maybe the vote should have potentially been closer than what it was. I mean, I don't know. And I, I voted can, for Dan. You know what? I can appreciate Scott said it back then, and Scott's sticking with it. Like, I can appreciate if you thought that in the moment then, but the people that are like completely now saying that, but weren't saying it at the time, come on, get out of here. Prisoner of the moment. That's what that is. Again, they forgot the dud that he had against Arizona State, the dud that he had against Oregon State. There was one more in there where he didn't play great. And then the, the Pac-12 championship game, he was good. But, I mean, Dylan Johnson rushes for 150 and a touchdown. Dylan Johnson also had a touchdown pass in that game, you know, and, and kind of felt like he had stole the show. I remember when Penix was given the, the conference championship MVP and everybody on Twitter was losing their minds why Dylan Johnson didn't get it. Well, we have a tendency to do that, though, yeah. about every single thing that happens during this time. Sit there and just question everything uh, because we get to this point where we've had so much information that's been thrown at us left and right that when we get a, a first true moment of, like, calm, where we can go back and kind of reflect on everything that's happened, you start questioning everything that you had a firm belief in prior. Yeah. And I think a lot of people wrote him off. You know, they beat Oregon right at like the midway point of the season. And that was his like Heisman moment, if you will. Right. Like they were awesome. Penix was awesome. Numbers were off the charts. Week in, week out, he was doing crazy things statistically. And it was his to lose the very next week. They almost lost. A, I think it was Arizona. I think that was the Arizona State game. Right. Yes. A week later, they almost lose that game like he was. I, I want to say, if I remember right, he was below 50% completion percentage, like a, a hundred and change passing yards, no touchdowns, a couple of picks. And literally from that point, I don't think anybody ever had him at the top of their list again th the remainder of the season. But yeah, the dude is legit, but their offense with the addition of, of what I think Dylan Johnson did down the stretch, and, and look, his health I think is 
crucial in this game, right? It is. If if he is even close to being the guy that he was down the stretch of the season, I can't wait to watch that matchup and just how they're going to stretch that Michigan defense. I don't know how it can be, man. I, I really don't. I agree. I it, the, the x-rays and everything else might have come back negative, which based off the reports and different radio interviews, it looks like that they have. But for those that were there and saw it, and everyone that reported on it, from sideline reporters to all the extra dudes that were there for the uh, ESPN, like mega cast things that they do, were saying that that guy was in a significant amount of pain, and they they thought the worst. I, we've all been around enough ankle injuries to see how, and I've had multiple coaches be like, "Yeah, you should be fine," and then that dude is not out there for three or four weeks. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, but this is the reason why they make needles. That's right. They uh <laughs> Let me introduce you to Tordal. That's right. Give you about 3 hours of of relief. Uh-huh. We'll see what happens. Which is that. all that you need right now. I mean, That's how many right. chances do you get to play for a national championship? And the you know, the other side of that that matchup I think is also interesting because I feel like Michigan should be able to run the ball pretty successfully throughout the game. So how much does Washington try to sell out to stop that? But if Michigan doesn't throw the ball well, right? I mean, not that they attempt to, but when they do, it's not, it's not the prettiest thing you've ever seen. If, if Washington were to put them in a situation where they have to start doing that, that also plays into the strength of the Washington defense, right? Which is their edge rushers and rushing the quarterback. <laughs> Did you see all the uh, announcements today from the portal? I have seen some announcements. Is there a specific? Uh, Judkins from Ole Miss. Whoa, I missed that one. Yes. You want to talk about maybe instantly jumping to the top of the most coveted list? So they struck gold. In every other position group in the portal, and then they lose their their arguably their best player. Correct. Holy cow! I mean, is could they? I guess this would be one of those scenarios where maybe I wouldn't be surprised if he went back there, and this were a a money play. Maybe given the number of players they've brought in this offseason, and right? considering I mean, how much that they've propped up their collective right. and nil right. deals. Maybe he doesn't feel like that they have it, but there was an he, he interesting feels like he needs a raise. Interesting message though on Jackson Dart's Instagram today that people were posting, or excuse me, on on the IG story, where he replayed a clip of Tom Brady talking about um, having selfish teammates. Oh, so I I don't know where you know you start to read into things like that, but intriguing that he would post it at the exact same time that Judkins jumps in uh, non portal related news. Jonathan Brooks is leaving early from Texas for the NFL draft. So uh, there was that one on top of worthy announcing that, that he was going. And then did I see another one today from Texas as well that decided to, Oh yeah. Byron Murphy is uh, leaving school yeah. for the NFL draft. So um, big-time interior lineman that is now in the NFL as 
Texas loses a few key pieces to their run to the semifinal this year. Yeah, they're going to lose Sweat and Murphy, which I think, you know, that was the that was the backbone of of the strength of that entire football team, right? The interior of the defensive line. So Yes, very much. Not so. that they don't have other good players there, but yeah, those guys were were special. Mhm. And worthy, you know, I think again, it, it wasn't always with him. He's he's one of those guys where because of his speed, it's not about just the plays that he's making it's about how he impacts the way that a, a defense defends you right like they have to be aware of his speed and how he can stretch you so yeah i can't wait for monday though and i can't wait to hear warren moon's thoughts on this washington michigan matchup that he was once a part of I, I mean, I, I want to hear what he thinks about Penix at the next level, too. Is there a chance that he could jump to the number two overall pick? I think there's a chance. I don't know that I would bet on it, but I think there's definitely a chance. He's kind of going to be in a weird position where probably a lot of hype with playing well, potentially in the national championship game and, and that game the other night, move him all the way up that high, playing well in big games down the stretch, playoff games. But on the other side of that coin, and I've already seen a little bit of this start to be put out, he's 24, right? Yes, he and is. same thing with Bo Nix. These, like, six-year guys, like, I, I, there are some scouts that are saying, like, pump the brakes a little bit on these, like, 24-year-old guys that have been in college for six years and how good they're playing against 18- and 19-year-olds and how much you think that translates to the next level. And I, you know, that I don't know that that'll be the consensus, but there will definitely be people that that view it that way, right? He is, uh, if he balls out in the championship game, I mean, he's going to be the talk of the draft. That's right, against and, that defense, without a doubt. And you're looking at teams at the top of the draft, like Chicago and whatever they decide to do from with their quarterback spot, but they are definitely in play for a QB at one. Washington for sure at two, New England for sure at three. Uh, then you jump down to, let's see, the Falcons are already back in quarterback play again at 10. The Bears, the, the Raiders at 11. I mean, you have some, the, the Vikings at 12. You have some quarterback needy dudes. I mean, you want to talk about a plug and play? I mean, if you were to fall to 12 to Minnesota with uh, some of the wide receiver weapons that they have. That'd be a great spot for him. Great Great spot for him, but I wouldn't wish going to Minnesota on anyone because it's the Vikings. Yeah, I think you're right about that. All right, let's take a timeout. We have a Thursday edition of The Snack coming up on the other side of the break before Warren Moon joins us in the 5 o'clock hour. I'm Colby Daniels. Can I drop one thing of uh, breaking news here real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Alan Bowman. Breaking news right now. On the Blitz 1170. Sorry, voice guy. Alan Bowman has been granted a seventh year of eligibility per an OSU release. And there's your breaking news today from Oklahoma State.